I hope to keep you forever and keep going with, you know, our, with our relationship. It's done very, very well. That model's done very, very well. I can pass you off to the sales team. I can pass you, the sales team passes them back off to me. We have a good relationship, right? It's just, it's still all relationship based. I'm not just because, you know, the sales team, they may sold, they get their money and then they, they leave. I'm left with everything, right? I have the relationship with the builder. If it doesn't go well in the build, I'm still stuck with it. So I want them to succeed. Everyone I want to succeed in their in their areas, and I don't control it all, which is fine. And and I realize that I don't need to be the sales agent. I don't need to be, you know, I have a good relationship. I pass you off. I get it back. I get it back tenfold because they trust me. I trust them, and it just continues to go from there. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I have Corey Bonner here with Max Property Management. Corey, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Corey, I want to hear a little bit about your background, but tell us what market are you in, how many doors are you managing, give us some basic stats to understand more about the business. Yeah, so um, Max Property Management, we're out of Lehigh, Utah, so the what you would call uh, Silicon Slopes in Utah, right? And we're right at the point of the mountain there, and so um, we... Uh, we started around 20, 2017, 2016, 2017, and uh, we uh, were managing, you know, just north of 2,800 doors right now with about another 1,000 doors in the pipeline being currently under construction and being built right now. So, um, but uh, yeah, just out of, out of uh, that kind of point between Salt Lake and Utah County. How'd you get into it, Corey? Huh. Again, it's just like every property management company, you didn't just like want to jump right into it and so um kind of a crazy story i was from northern nevada i was a fire medic um hmm. out of uh out of northern nevada um actually went into pre-med and did not plan on even becoming a firefighter but i just engaged in it loved the uh you know the thrill of you know jumping into burning buildings and helping people right? and so you know was in there for so long and then just you know, felt like I needed to make a change and uh, moved out to Utah, kind of funny, um, and just went skiing for an entire year. <laughs> Spent the entire season skiing. Um, met some great people up there. I was like, all right, I, I want to move here to Utah because it's very similar to northern Nevada. I had, you know, Tahoe and you know, all those great, you know, ski areas. And so I, you know, jumped over to Utah and uh, just got a, just a job. Right. And I got a job with a property management company doing maintenance of all things mm -hmm. in their maintenance division. And they were having problems with it. I was like, I'll come in, help you build out your maintenance division in the, in the property management, which is kind of funny. I was a fire medic. I just wanted a job just to get settled into a new area. It wasn't strategic. Not at all. <laughs> so, you know, spent uh, a good year with them and then uh, found some investors that were investing in that property management company and uh, they were doing developments in fourplexes. And I just got really involved with their owners. And it was kind of funny. I was working in the property management company, but had a lot of conversation with them on the side. I actually happened to know them from a different avenue out of the property management company. And so uh, they hired me because I did marketing and I did uh, videography. I was just kind of a side hobby I was doing. And they needed help, you know, branding themselves to sell these fourplexes. 
Um, and then they stagged me. So I moved over to their group and they were the fourplex investment group. And they were just starting a brokerage, just starting to get really ramped up. They did their first couple projects and it, it went really well. Um, and again, I was, I was helping them and they were farming a lot of their, you know, investors over to other prop or this other property management company. And they were saying, we're just not having a really good experience with this. We need to start our own. And they didn't know how to do it. They didn't have any interest into it. They were all in the sales, right? They just want to sell. And I was like, you know what? I was in there. I saw what I liked and what I didn't like of that property management company. And give it to me. So then I started from there, just started. Did you start it with them or, or completely separate? We built a separate third-party company. And the reason was we wanted to have the sales be at sales and offer a service for property management. The owners weren't required at that time to use it. It was just a good connection where knew the product, you know, knew everything about it and could, you know, provide that service that some of these investors, it was a good investment, you know, for a, a mid-level investor because you can have a fourplex, get a, you know, traditional loan on it, commercial or not a commercial loan, but a, you know, conventional loan. And you know, they were buying them up like mad. And so then they were starting to, we were starting to cash flow. We were be able to rent these things out like, you know, like clockwork. And so, you know, first project, second project, then we're in, you know, 20 projects later with the same kind of model by helping it kind of build itself. You know, the first one had no clubhouses, didn't have any, um, real amenities, right? It was just fourplexes and a development. So did it start off with just like one-off spot lots in pre-existing communities? They, they bought the land, so they did land development. So they would buy the land and then they would pre-sell this to their investors. So all these were pre-sold um, and then the investor held the construction loan. That's mm -hmm. another different part about this. It wasn't like a you know developer builds it and then you know sells it after. It was each investor bought their lot and then the builder built these fourplexes. And so they held the construction loans, they did the draws on it. Um, and then when they were released, you know, we needed to lease them out because it was all like a built for rent product, but just for a bunch of investors. Mm. And so, you know, the first ones that came out really didn't have a clubhouse or didn't have a ton of amenities, right? Um, simultaneously, I built the HOA company along with the property management company because it needed an HOA because you had, you know, multiple owners in development that, you needed a board, you needed, you know, input. So started that, then sold that property or that HOA management company and just focused solely on the interior. But what's really funny is where we sold that to, I ended up partnering with them because it just made sense to keep them real close, mm -hmm. you know, HOA and property management of these communities. And mm -hmm. so we've made them better, more amenities. We listened to the residents that were living in them and what didn't they like about it? What could we change about the floor plans? What made life easier for these residents in here, which then, you know, translated back to the investor was, you know, they're staying in here longer. They're, you know, we're getting renewals. We're, you know, changing the experience of the tenant. And it wasn't just a bunch of different property management companies fighting in the community of trying to lease out the same product we had all the same product. We were marketing it. We were creating a website, creating a community. So let's go, it's got some multifamily kind of feel. It does. It, it is multifamily, but it, 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 it has this hybrid of single family. 
just it's it was really cool it was very interesting it's been really cool to build up this you know this this hybrid model of multifamily and then has a lot of single family aspects to it though as well so who are you reporting to now how many how many clients do you have am i hearing that this is a, a smaller number of concentrated clients as opposed to the typical ratio of one one owner one property yeah i mean we have a lot of repeat investors because they they like the product. They've done a lot of deals. So, I mean, I have some owners that have 100 doors in the same product and others with just one fourplex or, you know, they do duplexes and triplexes within these developments. Depends on how the how the build went. But um, the, you know, we have, I say we still have about five to 600 owners, mm-hmm. you know, with within these pockets. And, you know, we grew from Salt Lake. We went from Salt Lake to the Boise market, from the Boise market to Houston. Didn't love Houston. We ended up getting out of Houston, but we have product in Houston. Um, and then we started up Arizona about three years ago. So the Phoenix market. So we're in three different markets in the same type of model in three different markets. Um, but we have, you know, a good amount of investors in each one. So a typical anywhere from two to 300 unit development has anywhere from 60 to 80 owners. Mm. So it just kind of depends on each one, but yeah, it's concentrated. You don't have a bunch of one-off owners, just one single family here, one there. They have a fourplex, a, you know, triplex, duplex, eight, 16 plex. We've gone as big as 16 because we'll do stacked flats as well in these communities. How has this model evolved as the macro climate has shifted in real estate? You know, it's, uh, we still have people wanting the, the product. It's kind of, it's, it is funny. It's like people want to move from, you know, that apartment model, right. And kind of switch over to more of a, you know, I get a single family. And so, you know, we're seeing the, we get the trends on both sides, right. We get the, we get the apartment, you know, mentality, right. And then you have the single family as well, where we're that transition of people moving from apartments to a townhouse mm-hmm. to that, hopefully a home ownership. And so we're, as everything shift, I mean, we, we have seen both sides where we've seen the, you know, the rents have decreased a little bit because we're, you know, we're seeing that people are not, you know, wanting to renew. So we were trying to adjust our market rate to see kind of where people are sitting. And then we found that equilibrium. So, you know, as we were kind of seeing in some of the conferences, you know, this week about how, you know, the rents have gone down, we saw the exact same trends in, in our product type as even the single family side and the apartment side. So, you know, we've hit both, both sides of, um, you know, the, the multifamily class A type product and the single family. And presumably there was a little room for things to come down. You're in a really hot market. I'm thinking about in from an inventory perspective, the appetite yeah. and the demand to keep building because that's where you're oh, yeah. going so from. We have, so we currently have six other projects under development. The issue that we ran into, I mean, COVID kind of just, you know, threw a wrench into a lot of the builders. And so like in our Idaho market, you know, it slowed down a lot. And it's now that we're getting trades to come back to the development and work to build the product. And so that was a big struggle. And we're still just finishing up those developments in our Boise market. You know, there's still appetite out there for investors. They, they're price conscious now. So it's now not like, okay, the cap rates have got to make sense for these investors. The rents have got to come in, but in order to build the product, the product's gotten a lot more expensive. It's just trades are more expensive. Your your product and material is more expensive to build these. So 
It's now trying to shift that and say, well, okay, we got to either get the land cheaper to be able to build this type of product. Because, I mean, we're not, we, I would consider ourselves a good, a B minus product type. So we fit this like gap between mm -hmm. the lower class and upper class. So we get this really good mix in the middle to, of affordable. I would say we're, we're, has some good affordability in our product type. You get a, you know, 14 to 1600 square foot townhouse for a really good affordable price, you know? So it's not a massive home over here, but it's not the, you know, stacked apartment over here. We got this really good townhouse model. Mm -hmm. What you're describing is attractive. I'm sure there's a lot of folks that are thinking they love to have relationships with developers. What's the secret in your experience to building strong relationships with developers to get in front of these types of opportunities? You know, you see what we like to do. And again, we worked with, we started with this developer and then we branched out to other developers because it's like, okay, we've got this niche of, you know, finding, helping from ground up. Mm -hmm. There's a, there is that in our markets, we go and we find those investors that, uh, you know, it, it could be a, it could be a fund group that was like, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to go build here, but we don't have a property management company. So we, we go to the cities and see who's building, right? Who's building, who do we got to get in front of to say, Hey, before they even go vertical with these things, we need to get in front of the builders. We need to get in front of who the investors are make that relationship. So it's, it's really going and finding, okay, where are the builders building? Do they have, you know, some of the big players already managing these, or could we get in there and say, Hey, we know the local area, let us be your management group, you know, for your build product, right? Do they have a property management company? And they, and some don't, they just build these things and they're like, okay, we'll figure out property management later. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we're, We've got to go through the build process and, you know, it could be, I mean, we're getting into these things two and three years before we even get product. Mm. So we're working on these things way in advance. That was my question is what does it look like to be a strategic partner rather than just another property management company that they don't really care about, et cetera. It's providing what they like. I mean, we get as far as the, you know, as granular as the contracts with utility companies, right? We're helping them through the build process because you know, developers, they know what they know and builders know what they know. And you've got this middle in between. What are they trying to build in the middle? What are the amenities that need for this development? And you give them that information ahead of time of saying, okay, well, based on our data and information, what people want in this area, can you work this into your product? Right. And so, you know, providing that feedback to the developer, to the investor group and saying, okay, this is what we believe you need to be to, to get your bottom number, to, you know, have tenants stay longer, to, you know, have a better experience in these developments. And it, and it was, it's, it's really kind of cool to start, you know, you know, we're three, three years before we even get a product that we can tangibly rent out. Right. And so working with the developer, working with the, you know, the builder and even getting to a four way and saying that plug can't go there. Right. You know, that, that, you know, that's not going to work. So actually being through the build process to actually make better living for that resident, that end user is going to be living in it. And then what is the property management company, the HOA, when the developer's gone, the builder's gone, what are we left with? Mm -hmm. Right. We want something that, you know, is going to stand up to the test of time going forward. And so that's kind of been where we get to, we get in the very beginning phases of these 
provide that relationship and then we're able to, you know, lease these out and, and have our, you know, our stabilization gets cut in half because we're, we're able to provide what people want in that time. Now, you know, things shift, right. And, you know, mentality shifts. We're actually seeing some of the big apartment complexes actually take their clubhouses and go from a, you know, $3 million clubhouse to this like small little cabana, like in our Arizona markets. And so it's really kind of funny to see where people shifts. What, what, what do, uh, residents really want these days? And so each development we go through and try to, you know, mix, mix what people want to, you know, the idea of having a pool, the idea of having a gym is cool to have, but most people have gym memberships now, or, you know, it, it's trying to find that, that it's a moving target. Yeah. It's just a moving target. So we just, we get in, we get involved with the, de- the de- developer in the beginning and really try to provide the best feedback we can based on our data and information that we're currently getting. That's a really long cycle. What feedback do you have about QAing these relationships, protecting yourself, making sure that that investment that you're making years in advance is actually going to come to yield and fruition? That's a great question. There's a lot of work and a lot of time that's involved in these things. And, you know, it's um, how, how we have done it is because our information is so invaluable, a lot of times we get, you know, it not necessarily a contract is actually produced right in the, right in the beginning. So it's, it's relationship building. It's really getting involved with them. And they're like, we can't live without you. Right. We, we can't do the next project without you. And so, you know, that first deal, when you get into it, you need to provide that, you know, that valuable piece that they're missing because they'll, they, they can see one thing, but they don't see the end product where the property management you know, they see the end product They're They're the end user is we deal with the maintenance. We deal with the, you know, the end user. Mm-hmm. And so how do we provide that? And that's the invaluable piece. So, you know, there's not a good way to protect ourselves. It's, it's more of a, you know, the relationship being built with those developers and they're just going to keep using you. Mm-hmm. This thing is they, they find a good partner. They find someone that is invaluable in that space and they'll continue to use you for the next project, the next project. And then you find another developer that's doing, you know, similar build or something that's a little different that you can provide the same. And you just keep building those relationships from each developer to, and then it just kind of keeps growing from there. Is this the entirety of your business or is there other unrelated side portfolio coming from other places? We do single family because we have to, right? So we, for most of our investors now, I don't market ourselves. So what's kind of crazy is all of it is just organic. Mm. It's all internal. So the single family portfolio that we have has all been brought by our current investors. It's, I, we don't market ourselves. If we get a phone call, we'll take it. You know, we'll, can we service it because we already have developments in that area? We have a whole single family division that's, you know, made up of just certain, you know, single family managers. Uh, but most of our portfolio is all just this multifamily development, you know, build up, And so. We have to take those other aspects of it, the, you know, the single family division. Um, and then, you know, we've just recently, you know, taken over and starting to build more of the maintenance division because, you know, as we're, as we're seeing even some of the class A type community builds, they're, they're actually going away from, you know, on-site maintenance to more of a, you know, a company that roams. So these, these big companies are building these, you know, maintenance companies 
that roamed to the communities. Mm-hmm. So instead of, you know, the part of the community having an on-site, you know, maintenance team, they're bringing that in, saving that, you know, saving that from the investor and building these big maintenance companies to then service all the apartments. So we're doing the same thing. We're building a maintenance, you know, company to be able to service this, to get better, you know, better product, you know, bulk so that we can, you know, get the cost to the tenant, get the cost to the investor lower, but then be able to still service that customer service that, that, you know, the tenants are asking for and the owners are asking for. What do you love about this business? I love business just in general. You know, business is exciting. And the thing about property management is it's, it's what's exciting is every day you come in. And again, I go to work every day. I go to work. I'm with our team every single day. I am, I show face. I want to be involved. I want to be there and engaged into what we do every day. And I, I want to be, you know, able to provide that, uh, that feedback for, for our team when they need it. Um, but you know, I, I like how you can come in every day. There's a problem and you can solve it. Now, maybe your decision wasn't the, wasn't, wasn't the decision that was the best, but you learn from your mistakes. And so that's, that's what I've learned through a lot of property management. What I do like about it is that, you know, we make hundreds of decisions a day and we learn from each one of those. What was, was that the right decision? Maybe not. Okay. How do we learn from it and how we change it going forward? And so that's what, you know, that's what I get up every day. I go and I, I have a new problems to solve today. Mm-hmm. And that's really what property management is. You put it over here. It's just problem solving. Every single day we just have a problem. We got to solve it. And then we got to fix that problem. And hopefully it doesn't come up again or, you know, provide, you know, things to make sure that that doesn't come up in the way it, way it showed itself mm-hmm. that time. When I think about the hierarchy of problem solving, I think about values being at the top, yeah. policy below that, process below that. Can you talk to me about some policy decisions that you've made about how you've chosen to run your business that have uh, preemptively solved problems downstream just because of your upstream commitments about how you're going to run the business? Yeah. Great question. Um, you know, policies are obviously ever-changing and in, in you find find ways to solve the next one. But what we've found that has done, that has actually done really well is we have to invest in our people. Mm. And tell me about that. The the people, it's, this is a hard industry anyways. And every property management company, the turnovers is, is rough. And even, you know, talking with even, you know, your, your big class A, the turnover is crazy. I mean, you have 60 to 70% turnover in your own employees. And so if you don't start to build, and, and we learn this later, you know, we start, well, why are we having turnover? Like we're trying to create a good culture here. We're trying to, you know, listen to our team members and really try to, you know, have this a place that people want to actually, you know, be at every day. And it's, it's just a hard industry period to keep people engaged in. And so, you know, we've, we've started to shift our, you know, our model to just be, okay, we need to be more about our people. We need to... You know, that's part of the culture. You know, we, we do fun stuff as far as culture, but now it's just how do we make you successful and how do we make you, you know, want to be here every day and how do we provide, you know, the resources you need to be able to do your job the best that you possibly can, right? I want to invest in you and your future with us. And if not, how do I give you the, you know, the education and resources to better yourself 
away from us, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, we, we've found that, um, you know, investing in our people, you know, listening to our people, that we're getting, you know, valuable feedback on how to change that hierarchy where we're at, right? We're, we're changing, you know, our policies internal to, to help our people. And then that in turn, you know, pays or paves the way for, you know, our residents, our owners, they get that feeling that, okay, well, I'm actually, I being cared about here. How do I, and then I, they, that translates to the, to the resident, which then our customer service gets better. And so we've been really centric around the customer service, which kind of takes that, you know, that hierarchy and, you know, gives more resources to our people. We listen to our people and then, you know, simultaneously, we're just giving more instead of micromanaging every little piece, right? We're starting to give more and more to our people because that, that trust factor is there. You're talking to your employees and then they're, they're, they're feeling like, oh, they actually care about me and really trying to understand where, where I'm coming from. And they're really trying to help us, you know, be successful, not only just in, in the business world that we're in, but in their, in their own lives. How do we give, you know, resources of things to help their own lives, right? How do you handle performance conversations? Let's say you have somebody with a good attitude and the work quality isn't great. How do you handle that, that conversation? That, uh, that, that is a, is a great question. And we performance, you know, I want to give everyone the chance to change, right? And it goes back to just management. How do I how do I manage in a way that is not my way, but a way that someone can relate to in their way, but get the job done, right? We've really got to change our management style to not just manage, you know, for the manager. And that's what I teach even our managers and our, you know, our operation manager, our director, our, you know, our regional managers, right? It's it's managing people the way that that person needs. So performance wise, you know, we, we have a sit down, like we talk about it. We go through and say, okay, these are the things that we are seeing. How can I help you? Right. You know, we want to focus on how do we help our people? And if it doesn't work out, we got to have those hard conversations, right? We, we got to say, okay, here's, you know, we just bring it straight up. You know, there's no beating around the bush here. It's, it's, we're very, very upfront and forward because it's, you know, we want them to succeed, but if it doesn't work, we've got to cut ties and we got to, we got to move on. Right. But we want you here. Our goal is to not just push people out. Our goal is to mm-hmm. keep people here because we, you know, there's a reason why we hired you, Let, let's bring that forward and let's continue to try to evolve. Right. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone takes time. Everyone's in different learning stages, right? I mean, we have, I think we're, we have over, we're you know, getting to 40 employees. Mm. And so it's, it's now not so much, it's, it's, it's now managing people. And then the expectations are, well, these are our expectations. How do we get you to make sure that you can, you know, you know, get through those expectations that we're asking for? And how do we help you through that? Mm. Love that. Yeah. Corey, what are some of the limiting beliefs that you've overcome over the last however many years that have been most uh, reflective of your growth as a leader? Wow. Let's see here. These are ideas that you've struggled with that you recognize in retrospect were holding you back and it was just, you know, it was just a made up idea in, in your head that was holding you back. I think the big one for me, 
and it's just my own self-development was, you know, I, I took everything so personally in this business, right? In the very beginning, right? And for any new person starting a business, you do, you take it so personally. Like, it's like, this is your baby. You're like, okay, what did I do wrong? Why is this, why is this resident so mad at me? And you take it so personally. And I really had to learn. I've had some great mentors that, you know, I, I, I learned some of this from, but a lot of it just came from, you just have to step back and go, okay, step out of this scenario and say, okay, where is this person coming from? And a lot of people, they, they come from a, you don't know what's happening in their lives. We deal with tenants and people in their everyday lives. You know, they're, they're living their lives in your unit. So you don't know if they had a death in the family. You don't know if they just had a bad day, right? It's not necessarily, it's not you as the person, it's, it's, it's the scenario that they're currently in. Mm -hmm. And so what I've had to learn to just, you know, keep pushing through because this industry will burn people out. It's it just, it is what it is because there's just so much going on. But what I had to learn was really just kind of take myself away from that, you know, stop taking it personally and really just kind of attack it from a different, a different way. How, how is this person and why, you know, ask the question, why is this person, you know, at the state that they're in, they're so frustrated right now. And how do you, how do you try to come up with a solution for it, but not take it personally? Cause what it was doing, it was just affecting your me every day. I'm just, taking it home with you. Just taking it home with me. Right. And then you just go home and obviously, you know, my wife would just, would, would take a beating as well. Right. And then I just, you know, offload onto her and she, she didn't, she didn't deserve that. So I had to, I had to kind of take it back and go, okay, can't take this personally. You're not going to make everyone happy. That was the second. doesn't matter what you do. You can't make everyone happy. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, inherently humans want to make, want to make you happy. Right. In this business, we're in service. We want to make you happy. Customer service is what it's about. Right. You just want to make people happy, but there's sometimes you just, you just can't do it. And you got to come to realization that it's not going to always happen mm -hmm. that way. And I think that was probably one of my aha moments of just like, okay, I've got to take, you know, take it not so personally mm. and just, and really just focus on, you know, those processes and systems to make sure that, you know, how to, how does this come in and how do we source it? Mm -hmm. How do we source that, that, that issue or that problem? And, um, you know, me personally, it, it was, you know, that not taking things personally, coming from a, from a different, uh, a different way. And then, you know, it actually ended up helping myself. And then I teach that to others. Don't take it personally. They didn't attack you. Mm -hmm. They attacked the situation, not you personally. And so that's, that, that was something really big is, is, you know, not just taking those things personally. Mm, I dig that. Yeah. That's a rich subject. I think it, it can feel like a bumper sticker. Don't take it personally. Well, how exactly you do, how do you do that? that? How do you do that? For me, uh, for me, there's a lot of curiosity yeah. that's required. There's the belief that whatever is going on for them, it's real for them. There's a reason that that behavior seems rational. And if I was curious enough to know what it was, I might have enough empathy to be able to meet them where they're at, not to rationalize the behavior. I don't want somebody yelling at me. No. That's not cool. No. But if I could understand, would I be better off in that moment understanding why they're yelling? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. That probably maximally informed the conversation we could have. Yeah. And the whole, the whole relationship in property management, it's set up to be adversarial in some ways if you let it, let it be. And some people really 
lean into that yeah. and they optimize for dealing with conflict and you have other people that are trying to figure out how we can reduce the amount of conflict. Do you have any thoughts or feedback on dealing with tenants specifically? Tenants at times can feel like the enemy if, yeah. if we're not really being thoughtful about the language. Yeah. Well, what thoughts do you have for cultivating healthy, functional tenant relationships whilst that, that serve business goals and objectives? Yeah, that's, gosh, that's a question all the time, right? Where how do we, how do we go about treating that everyone's a person, right? It, it just, we got to get back to that. We're all humans and that human nature, and you got to understand human nature, you know, you know, it's what, um, got to realize it's, it's what, what does that person perceive in the moment, right? How are they, how are, what is their perception of what's happening? And I think it's when we have tenants that are, that, that get to that escalated and why did it get here? Was it, you know, could we have communicated differently down here, right? Before you got to this, this heightened, you know, this level and, you know, well, what I've been able to do and what we try to teach our people is, is, you know, you, you try to just bring it down to a, a common level to say, okay, I understand where you're coming from. What do you want? It's really coming down to, we, we need to understand the, what is it that the, that they're asking for? And it's hard because tenants don't even know what sometimes that they're mad about. They just want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest part is listening. If we listen to people more, then you can, you can gather more information. I mean, we, we deal with that all day long, right? It's no different than people. You, you need the information to be able to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. You need to listen. And the biggest part is that even in the beginning, when I started out, I wasn't listening to people, you know, they were, they were up here and, and you wanted to get up there too. You're like, oh, I'm going to get up here too. I'm going to, I want to, I want to fight you back. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and started to realize that was not productive. You know, it was not at all. And so you really just have to listen to what people, what people are saying. And you know what? There are sometimes you say, I'm wrong. You know, I am wrong. You're mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. You just have to, you, you have to own it. Mm -hmm. Problem management companies, we're not right all the time. We want to say we're right, mm -hmm. but it, we're just, we're not always right. And if you, if you say, you know what, you're, you're right. I am so sorry that that's the way it happened. That completely changes it. And as a property management company and even being the owner, I just, I take responsibility for it. If you take responsibility for mm. maybe what you did or mm. how that happened to them, mm. it changes everything, right? Totally changes. You take ownership of that situation and say, you're right. I'm wrong. How do we move forward? That changes it. Which is global. That's yes. not just dealing with residents. That's no, global. that's global. One of the things I've realized over time is that most folks, myself included, relate to an apology as me giving you something that's going to cost me something. Yeah. I'm taking out of my bank account and putting a deposit into your bank account. That's one way to look at it. Yeah. Another way to look at it is the strategic apology. Yeah. I'm apologizing. You're not extracting an apology from me. No. I'm apologizing. Yeah. I take that over. I've got a goal that I'm trying to facilitate and the apology is the way to get there. Yeah. I don't know about you, but in the workplace for me, apologies from team members when mistakes are made, apologies level set the playing field and, and reduce a ton of anxiety up front. Yeah. If there's no ownership and we're bickering, 
man, this probably isn't going to end well. No. The technicalities don't really matter. No. But if you show up with a lot of ownership, immediately I'm like, you know, we're probably going to be able to find a solution here. 100%. You know? Regardless of what it happened, if you're owning it, we could probably figure it out. Yeah, it actually changes the whole conversation instantly. If you're like, you know what, I'm I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And how can I be better, right? Even with your own, like your employees, just like you said, like just myself included. If I just own up to it and say, you know what, you're right. How how can I do better? How do how do we how do we how do we work together, right? It changes that whole mindset as we as we move forward. And you know, it's, it's that was a great compliment. It just it really does, you know, it brings that relationship back to a level playing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm wrong. I take ownership of it. How am I going to make it better? It's an expression of agency, and agency is central to business. Yeah. If you didn't do it, if it just happened to you, you probably can't fix it. No. But if you're coming in and saying, I did it. Yeah. It was me. It was me. And therefore, I'm going to fix it. All right. Let's right. go. Yes. Let's figure you're it out. Yes. I love that. You know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier that's related to development, you didn't mention it, but it came up for me mentally is the idea of turnkey, which is not common in our industry. Turnkey is basically owning the entire value chain where rather than you just coming to me and you, you have a property and maybe it's a good one, maybe it's not, maybe I'll manage it, maybe I won't. You're coming as an advisor and I'm getting the experience of wealth management, wealth creation. Where should I deploy my capital? Is real estate a good asset class? If it is, which one specifically? What markets? Could you help me locate the property? Could you help me dispose of the property at the end of that life cycle? That trusted advisor, it's less common. One of the reasons is that turnkey requires multiple skill sets, not just property management, raising capital, uh, purchasing the property, doing construction, et cetera. You're closer to that. Do you think of what you're doing as being more turnkey-like and what feedback do you have for being able to provide that full life cycle of services as opposed to just the management piece. Yeah, that's great. And you know, what's funny. We came again, we came from just management, right? There is a sales division that is in, you know, our, our group. And like, I, I'm, I'm a dual broker and broker of the property management company, Max. And then we have a, we have a real estate, you know, sales side. I don't use the sales side, anything more than either someone wants to come in and buy a, a, maybe a current property or, you know, we're close to the situation or we do it for ourselves, right? Owner operators really where we want to get to, right? We see where this is at. I, I want to owner operate. Mm. That, that's not mm. the ultimate goal here. Yeah. Owner operate. I yeah. don't think any other property management company doesn't want to do it for themselves, right? But that's the and, goal. And yet it's not as, um, as common as not, as you'd think. I mean, why wouldn't you? I, I, I this thought in my head is so prevalent, which is as a consumer, if you're looking at hiring a property management company, why would you hire one that doesn't believe in the asset class enough to actually right. have some of it themselves? And that's what I do. I buy our own product. Beautiful. Because the reason why I do that and I invest in our own product is I've got to also believe in it. And then I've also got to want to change what I dislike about it. Mm. Right? I am fully engaged into making sure that this work. You're exposed to it. I'm exposed to it. And I see the problems. I want to fix them, right? I don't want the investor to continue. I don't want, you know, someone to buy something that they don't want. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really do care about the product. I care about the end, you know, how long is this going to last? Right. When, when is a good exit out of this? You know, we're, you know, we work with the HOA because we want it to survive. You know, we want their, we want their investment to continue. So yeah, I, I invest in our own products. You know, there's sometimes I sell and I go into something else. I go, I pick developers and I buy each one of their products. Mm. 
So if they've got a condo complex going up over here and they want to rent, you know, let's just say 40% of that development's going to go to rentals, right? The other owner occupy. Well, I'll invest in that if I get the management, mm -hmm. you know, that way I'm engaged and invested into it. And, you know, I can see where, hey, maybe this works out. Maybe it doesn't, you know, you know, I, I continue to invest in also what I'm asking others to invest into me. Mm -hmm. So if I invest into them, they invest into me and then we're, we're a partner. You know, I want to see you succeed. Same, same with the other. So, um, you know, it goes, it goes back to, you know, I really, I really like the product that we're in. Um, you know, investors are able to get something that one is of value to them. They can offer that value to others, which is, you know, the end user, which is the resident that's paying for it. Um, and then, you know, as far as, you know, we, we've got this, this great, and wh what I do well, we do property management. That's really what we do. If we're going to sell, I push that back over to the sales team that they, they do what they do best, right? But we, we collaborate with each other. We're still all separate. The thing is, is I, I don't push sales to our investors. What, what's important to me is management, right? I, I do very, very well at our core business, which is property management. So if I'm a customer, are you able to offer me inventory then in these different build outs that are happening? So what we do is we, the, the uncertain depends on which developer, right? We, we take you to their sales group because we are directly relationship. So we, we take you over to there and say, okay, we are a third party. They are selling this product that we'll manage, you know, on behalf mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. Right. And so a lot of these is it's like, okay, you know, the property managers coming in. So yes, we. We, we take you to the next group that says, okay, this is where we start. This is how you buy it. And then you end up with us at the end, mm -hmm. right? So we, we have that ability to say, hey, if there is inventory that comes up and is for sale, sometimes, again, a lot of property management companies, they want to control everything. They want to control the sales. And the relationship still happens actually outside of that controlling it all, right? Well, I want to sell your property. I want to, I want to rent it out and, you know, or I want to buy the property for you, right? So a lot, a lot of property management groups, they have the, you know, the trifecta, right? I'm going to, I'm going to be your agent. I'm going to, I'm going to sell it to you and then I'm going to you know manage it for you. And then I'm, I'm going to sell it out. Right. And so, you know, it's a great revenue source all, all around, right? You get a little bit on the front, you get in the middle and then you get it at the end. And we don't really believe in that. The sales group, they do what they do best. Property management, we do what our core is really good at. I can provide the services if it's needed but I don't sell it. I'm not selling an investor to sell their product because mine's property management. I want it to stay. Now, if they do decide to sell, I sell our services to the next one. Mm -hmm. And what's great about it, I lose less on the resells than you would typically think, right? If I'm not involved in the whole transaction because I want to retain it, I actually get involved. We have a process of how they, if, if an owner goes to sell, they have a whole process that they fill out. And I track it and I'm helping the sales process, even though it's not, it's time consuming and it's a suck for us. I still get the win at the other end. I still retain management of a lot of these units that we have and you know, they'll resell, they'll flip out, they'll go to the next, but what's great is most investors they will flip out of this one. I get a new investor, they go buy more product mm -hmm. and then I invest or I keep them. So a lot of these investors, they'll flip, they'll sell to mm -hmm. the next, they'll mm -hmm. keep rolling. Mm -hmm. And then I still gain it. So I get the one here and then they continue to invest in future product. So this is a middle path. 
you yeah. described one path, which is uh, a horizontal play where you're you're doing it all. There's another path, which is you do nothing. I'm a property manager. You need an agent? Go find one. Yeah. You want to buy some real estate? Go go find a developer to talk to. You're in this middle path where you're tightly integrated in all of those other parts of the business, even though it may not necessarily be uh, the product offering that you're doing directly. That piece with the developers sounds particularly useful. You're vouching for these people, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's a huge yeah. act there. Even if you're doing nothing other than just making the recommendation, it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm working with you. I trust you. These are the people I should be talking to. These are uh, re hopefully realistic returns. Mm -hmm. How does that investment pro forma NOI conversation, how does that typically go on the front side? And, and what is the level of sophistication that you're catering to with these owners? So a lot of these owners, I mean, you, you got quite a high level of investor mindset. So they, they, they know what they're doing. And so when you're talking to them, you're, what I want for the sales, I provide the sales team good data and I do our research in those markets so that we're not, you know, making a BS performa, right? We really want that to be as close as we possibly can to, you know, being realistic. Obviously we don't want to, you know, I don't want to provide something that, Hey, these numbers look super sexy over here, but then I can't get them. Right. So we, cause we wouldn't be where we're at if we did that. Right. I'd rather, I'd rather the sales team, you know, Hey, let's, let's, let's get these where, you know, has a good middle ground of stabilization. Right. Because during stabilization, the first year it, it's rough because you have construction. We're leasing units out in construction because phase one will turn over before the rest of the mm -hmm. stuff, but you right? need them leased up, but we need them leased up. And maybe that performa didn't reflect part of stabilization. We started to understand that and started to build these into the performers and saying, okay, I, I told the sales team, I said, look, stabilization, I can't get what you would expect a fully, like a brand new development, nice landscaping, perfect, mm -hmm. ready to lease. I can't get those prices right now, but year two, year three, and that continues. Like we're, we were seeing three to five to even eight or 10% you know, rent increases after the project's finished. So we started to build these in the performers and start to, uh, you know, again, because I don't, I'm not selling it. I'm just providing the feedback and the data for the sales team to be able to put a performer together. Mm. And so what I'm doing is I'm finding the rents in the market at the current time, right? You know, we're trying to forecast, but the problem is, is I'd rather give you what I'm getting now and then let's overperform next year, right? Maybe rents go up next year, but I'm giving you and they're selling it at what it is at the current rate. It's not built, but maybe two years it's gonna be built, but hey, rents have gone up. So the investor at the end of the day, when that when it's finally built, you know, we may have killed and crushed that performer. You know, they may be cash flowing an extra 200 bucks or 300 bucks on that fourplex mm -hmm. because we, you know, when we originally sold it, that's what it was, you know, and trying to, you know, I can't tell the future, right? Hey, yeah, in three years, by the time this thing is built, you should be able to get this. I'm giving realistic data right now mm. and we're building in a stabilization to each one of these. So, you know, Hey, you may sit two months vacant. We're building that in, but our goal and what we do really well at is we're trying to, we, we talk with the builder. We're literally on the builder every day. When are we going to get a CFO for this thing? When's it coming to us? Right. I, I want to be prepared. I want to market three, five months in advance 
for that to be ready on that day. So I'm already pre-leasing these things, getting the date from that builder to say, hey, when is this going to be ready for us? And then we're pre-leasing it. We're, we're marketing these units before they even hit online and we're crushing that performer. We're getting the rent numbers that we need. And that's why investors have to keep coming back. So we have a ton of repeats, right? They, they just keep buying because they see, okay, well, you know, my appreciation of this thing and the last one was really, really well. And so I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And then they just keep buying in this, in this model. And, you know, we've slowed down a little bit just because obviously the market just kind of went crazy. And so, you know, it's kind of coming back to a, a flat line again, and then we're going to ramp back up again. And so, you know, that's what the specific builder that we have, but other ones, they do it a little differently where they'll, they hold the construction, they build it all out, and then they release the entire product all at once. Mm. So stabilization there starts to become a little different scenario, but those might be one, you know, tax ID owners where they understand that's built into an entire budget. Mm -hmm. My budget, I've got vacancy, I've got, you know, these are the costs that are coming. And again, I work on, we work on projects as well, brand new developments, one single tax ID. I love those, right? <laughs> that That's the ultimate goal. One single tax ID. If you only have to work with one owner, it's a lot better than working with 60 in one development, mm -hmm. you know, but you know, that, that's, that's the benefit of, of being so close, but still a step away, right? I, I pass you off because I trust what they're going to tell you because I'm going to get it back and I'm going to make sure that I do everything I can to get what they sold you. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the, that was the ultimate goal is I want to get exactly. So the sales team, they talk with me, you know, and again, we're, we're all third party. I don't, I don't make any money off that. I get you at the end and that's what I really want. I want you to come to me at the very end and then I get to, you know, I, I hope to keep you forever and mm -hmm. keep going with, you know, our, with our relationship. It's done very, very well. That model's done very, very well. I can pass you off to the sales team. I can pass you, the sales team passes them back off to me. We have a good relationship, right? It's just, it's still all relationship based. I'm not just because, you know, the sales team, they may sell, they get their money and then they, they leave. I'm left with everything, right? Mm -hmm. I have the relationship with the builder. If it doesn't go well in the build, I'm still stuck with it. So I want them to succeed. Everyone I want to succeed in their in their areas, and I don't control it all, mm. which is fine. And and I realize that I don't need to be the sales agent. I don't need to be, you know, I have a good relationship. I pass you off. I get it back. I get it back tenfold because they trust me. I trust them, and it just continues to go from there. Mm. I love it, man. Yeah, there's a lot of depth there. I hear that. I hear the passion. It's fun, and I'm excited to see what you're building over time. Yeah, I appreciate you coming in the studio. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure, so it's great to meet you. Ton of fun. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you wanna ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.